Before we get started, three times a week, the right time with Bomani Jones podcast brings you the latest from technology, music, and the very best analysis of the games. Plus, we have a community of friends, including Dominic Foxworth for Foxworth Fridays. That's the right time with Bomani Jones Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And Wednesdays and Fridays podcasts are also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That's my boy, Ryan Clark. And RC, we got a good one today. We're going to talk about some matchups at 155. Even though one I suggested last week and all of my matchups seem to be the right matchups, I'll give you a chance to kind of get a rebuttal. Then we're also going to talk about last weekend's fight, obviously. We're going to tap in and tap out. But when you think about last weekend, Right, you got Alexander Rockich in the biggest spot of his career, taking on Jan Bohovic, the former champion. For it to end like that, how anticlimactic was it? And also, does it take a little bit of the shine off of the win by Bohovic? You know, I think it does. When you look at it from the perspective of wanting to see a fight finish, understanding how these two men really factor in to the light heavyweight pitcher and trying to contend against Glover Teixeira, you you really want to see these guys see it through. And it was a competitive fight up until that moment. And to know that Alexander Rockich came into the fight with that injury, was going to fight through it, it says a lot about who he is as a man and as a fighter. But I don't necessarily think this is the win that Jan Bohovitz needed to put him right back in the conversation for an opportunity to fight for a championship in his next fight. You know, for me, it was a good fight, right? And I thought that when looking within the matchup, like looking between the lines, like y'all talk about it in football, seeing him defend takedowns. Although he got taken down in the first round, he was able to defend effectively from his back. He was able to defend another takedown in the next round and fight uh, a, a very good fight to that point. So we saw improvement from Jan Bohovic, but I don't know if winning that fight in the way that it did makes him the number one contender right away because right. we don't know if that was enough to tell us that a fight between him and Glover would be much different. Now, did Jan look better? Did he look much more comfortable than he did when he fought the sheriff? Sure. There were some... I, it's hard because I don't want to say excuses. There were some reasons coming from the Bohovich camp as to why he fought in the way that he did against Glover, why he didn't look like himself as he did in the fight against Edesanya, against uh, Dominic Reyes to win the championship. There were some reasons that he said as to why he didn't look as good as he had looked prior. So when I looked to Saturday, he looked more like the guy that we had saw on his run to becoming the UFC yeah. light heavyweight champion. So it was a bit of a reminder of who Jan Bohovic can be in that weight class. Yeah, I think I think it was a, a reminder of, of what it can be. But, you know, people are going to look at this fight and say, okay, you didn't necessarily dominate Alexander Rakic. And two, in a fight that he comes into injured, one, physically, mm. what type of fighter is he at that moment? And also... 
mentally what type of fighter was he on Saturday night, DC? So as someone who has fought at the highest level, won at the highest level, and also had to go into fights without being able to have a proper training camp or carrying previous injuries, how does that factor into the psychology of a fighter on fight night? You know, you're just kind of hopeful. You know, when you got to go into a competition not healthy, and I think it's across all sports, right? I don't know if uh, I can say, Ryan Clark, you've got a bit of an injury to your quad or to like mm -hmm. Chris Paul dealing with the quad injury. He's just hoping for best case scenario when he's out there. If right. you're not feeling great going into a football game, you're just kind of hoping for the best. Now, here's the issue, and I think this is why Alexander Rockets fought the fight. Fighters have a problem pulling out. Even if you know you're not okay, it hurts to not go to the fight. I've had to pull out a, a, a few fights in my career. I think maybe two. But you cry because you're so disappointed that not only do you not get to go and make your money, you mm -hmm. also don't get to go and compete and fight yeah. and show the world all the things that you've been working at inside the gym, showing that you're better, showing that you're much improved. Now, as the champion... It's a little easier to pull away from a fight because generally you're in a better financial position than some of these guys, the contenders that are working their way to a championship. But it's hard, man. It's hard to pull out. And then you're just hopeful. Like Rockage going out there with a knee, and immediately, RC, you could tell it was an ACL. Dude's right. done. Like now yeah. he'll be out for a year. But you could tell that he he's hopeful. But you can't go in there with an ACL. That's one of the ones you cannot try to fight through. Yeah, and so now you you look at the landscape, DC, and you you're mentioning that Alexander Rakic is out, and also Jan Bohovitz does get the win, and this is what he needed in order to stay in contention. Do you think he gets the winner of Glover Teixeira mm. and Yuri Pahaska in his next fight? Did he do enough to get that? You know what's so crazy about this weight, and you look at that at. at the champion Glover, Yana's the former champion, Yuri getting the title fight. You look at Ankalaev down there at 17 and mm -hmm. one, a very viable challenge, young talent in the weight class. It's insane how quickly it's moving when for so long it felt like 205 was a bit, uh, not stagnant, but there were two dudes that you could always find the belt on, John Jones or Daniel Cormier. And mm -hmm. now it's like, all these different guys are like in this title contention and you don't know who's going to win on any given night because for, for all we know, Ryan Ankalaev could be the very best of all of them because right. of the way that he has shown and in the, in the form that he's shown out there. So it's hard to say that Jan Bohovic gets the title fight of me, especially if Glover Teixeira loses when he just beat Jan Bohovic. So it's, it's a very difficult weight class to kind of, find clarity in right now because it seems as though they're all kind of beating each other when in reality only one that isn't getting beat is Ankalaev. So I think it's fun. I, I think parity is very important. I think uh, having a lot of people that can fight around the championships fun, but it does make it a bit confusing as to know who's next, who deserves this, how does this work out because these guys seem to just all beat each other. It's, it's very <laughs> weird. DC, here would be my, my question for you as someone who has been the light heavyweight champion. Even as John Jones dominated division and then you dominated the division, there was always so many good fighters with huge names yep. that were fighting in contention 
to 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 compete against the champion. You know, if it was the if it was the Mauler or all the other different fighters who have had great fights at light heavyweights, you were looking for that next guy to challenge the Daniel Cormier, to challenge the John Jones. It doesn't necessarily seem like it has that sort of glamour anyway mm. at the light heavyweight position. So what's better to have a dominant guy at the top with a lot of good fighters vying for that opportunity to fight him? Or is it better to have the parody where anyone mm. can be the champion on mm. any given night? I think in football, parody is important. <laughs> in your sport, parody is important. Yeah. In our and in this one, in MMA in my sport, it's about the dominant champion because the dominant champion becomes recognizable. The dominant champion you can wheel out all around the world. And if he holds on to that belt long enough, everybody knows them. They become the face of that division. So having a champion that reigns atop for a while is very important because, like I said, RC, when I was the champ, uh, initially it was still hard. But then when you keep that belt for two, three, four years, now you're rolling out to Ryan and Kelly. You're on Good Morning America. Right. And people start, they say, oh, that, that guy's the, the heavy, the champ of the world. But then when a guy has the belt like Jan, less than a year, bam, title moves over. Glover, mm -hmm. if he loses this belt, now it's on Yuri. You got to find that guy. That's why Max was having Max Holloway as the champ for so long was so good. Jose Aldo, Anderson Silva, John Jones. Having those long-reigning champions and fighting, fantastic. That's why everybody was so drawn to Floyd. That's why everybody was so drawn to Canelo. Everybody's so drawn to Tyson Fury. Because for the longest time, you identify them as the champion of the world. So all that parody is great in football, basketball, and everything else, but you want dominant champions in fighting. <laughs> and speaking of dominant, let's get to a dude that DC loves talking about along with his dominance, <laughs> and that's Islam Makhachev. He called out Charles Oliveira, and this dude is pulling no punches about what he wants <laughs> and what he believes that he could do. Let's hear a little bit of what he had to tell our Brett Okamoto. UFC say like we have to like find some uh, contender, but this is not contender match. We don't have champions. It's Charles contender too. That's why you know it's gonna be fight for the title for me because I I I hope I deserve because you know I have ten fight wins and I'm ready. It's my time. Now. We don't have champion because he missed weight. He's not professional. You have to be professional when you're champion. You know? yeah. That's why they, uh, they're going to make... I don't know, but I hope, you know, they have to make me versus Charles, like 10 win streak versus 11 win streak. It's a very big fight. It makes all the sense in the world. Now, the reality is, Ryan... He's not pulling punches, but I think a lot of it's like lost in translation. You remember we had him on the show? Yeah. It, he just, he's just very matter-of-fact, right? It's like all the Russians are like that. They just kind of tell you whatever they're feeling, and whether it's it's right or wrong. Like, yeah. It's just the way that they talk. But I, I, I believe on merit, though. And I know you always give me a hard time about the, the my relationship with the guys and how I treat them. But the reality is when it's based on merit and you look at what he's done, 10 fights in a row. Beating Dan Hooker in the way that he did. Beating uh, his last fight. I can't remember who he beat last time. I don't know if it was Dan. Who did he beat last time? He Dan Hooker destroyed. was the last one. He beat Bobby Green last time. Obviously, Bobby Green stepped in last out. minute. Yep. Right? But it's like everybody that he's fought, he's dominated. And when we look at Charles Oliveira today, 
whoever Charles Oliveira is fighting, he is dominating. So we want to see the best lightweights in the world fight each other. And I understand that he had one more step to cross in terms of Benil Daryush. Benil Daryush is hurt right now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fast forward Islam Makhachev to the championship and make him versus Charles Oliveira. 11 wins in a row, 10 wins in a row. Uh, a tremendous matchup too, Ryan, because Islam is not going to be afraid to engage with Charles Oliveira in those spots that make Charles so dangerous. Yeah. He's going to wrestle him. He's going to grapple with Charles, and no one has really lived to speak of grappling with Charles. So I look forward to seeing that because I believe that's the best matchup that can be made in the lightweight division. Well, listen, we know you. Any any matchup that gives <laughs> Islam Makachev an opportunity this to win the championship, right like, you're going to be with it. So let's not even really discuss that because we've gotten into <laughs> the fact you're like, you know what, Islam? You don't have to really fight anybody. We could just give you the championship because you beat Dan Hooker wait, and then wait, Bobby wait, Green stepped wait, in wait, for Benil Darius. Wait, 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 wait. Because... When Islam was on the show, you were you were, you were very friendly, you two. Buddy, buddy, you were you you were actually giving him a title fight too. You actually Hey, DC, you gotta know how to play the host game, buddy. I'm trying to make sure people come back to the show. And bringing people back to the show is what matters, my dog. But when you think about where Islam Makachev is right now, now that he beat Mm -hmm. Dan Hooker, now that he beat Bobby Green, and he's moved into this spot. Benil Dariush was supposed to be for him what Gilbert Burns was for Hamzat Chemaev, right? Mm -hmm. That guy who was right underneath the champion, who's been in contention, who's this guy, Gilbert Burns, actually fought for it. Uh, Benil Dariush actually hasn't, but he Mm -hmm. fought for it, and he gives you like that cachet. Oh, my goodness. Look who you just beat. Now you can jump this guy. Now you can jump that guy. And we could see you as a viable championship contender who has crossed the the bridges that other people have to. And so to me, DC, I think if they make the fight, it's going to be a great fight. It's going to be compelling in in a matchup of skills, right, and techniques and philosophies of fighting. But I still think only people like you want to jump Islam Makachev past everybody else. Dog, listen, I got a bit of an AKA bias. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I don't. But the reality is not everybody has to go through that, 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 that guy. Not everybody has to go through that step that puts you in line for the championship. I remember back to uh, all the way back to Cain Velasquez. Cain Velasquez beat Czech Congo, who wasn't in the top five, fought Brock for the belt, became the champion. Beat the Ben Rothwell. Myself, my first two fights at 205 was against Dan Henderson who probably was like number six or seven at the time, and a guy named Patrick Cummins, who was a barista at Starbucks a week before we fought each other. So it was like, you don't, not, not everybody has to go through that guy that puts you in line to fight for a championship. I mean, Habib won his belt off of Ally Aquinta. I think I'm actually making my point against myself right now. I'm kind of making it feel like there's been an AK bias in the UFC. In the UFC. Uh, Dana White but, privilege. But... It's like Dana White privilege for a Mexican, a Russian, and a black dude. So it's like, but the reality is like, you have to fight who they put in front of yeah. you. And I think that he has beaten the guys that they've put in front of him. And he was going to take the Darius fight. This is not his doing why the fight can't happen right now. 
in a time frame that would allow for him to be back in the octagon in Abu Dhabi against Charles Oliveira because that makes sense, right? When you go to Abu Dhabi, you got to have one of those guys there. You got to have Habib. You got to have Islam. You got to have one of those guys with that big Muslim following fighting on mm. the card. So you want to roll out one of those guys in Abu Dhabi, and it feels like that's the type of fight, a championship fight for Makashev against a dominant champion like Charles Oliveira works for that situation, and I would love to be there to call the fight. Yeah, I, th I think with the build-up to that fight and what we've seen Islam Makhachev do inside the octagon and obviously Charles Oliveira becoming a very dominant champion mm -hmm. um, in the weight class, that people would love to see that fight. I think the thing that's crazy to me is being in the arena and knowing the Justin Gaethje uh, kind of favor that was there. The fact that he was a fan favorite. He was from Arizona. Mm -hmm. And Charles Oliveira had to overcome that too. And then now to think that he could be fighting Islam Makhachev in Abu Dhabi and <laughs> another situation where Islam would obviously be the fan favorite really seems like hard odds or stacked odds for Charles Oliveira to continue to be the champion or to earn his championship belt back. But what do you feel or how do you see this fight playing out if this is made? You know, I think it's a, a, a tough fight. You know, I think it's a very close fight. And I also believe that the style of Makashev will allow for it to be as fun and competitive as we've seen for something uh, Oliveira has had to deal with lately. Because for as great of a fighter as Poirier is, Gaethje is, they would never, they would never have attempted to compete with Oliveira on the ground. Well, Makashev will. Will that be to his detriment? Just maybe. Because he will not fight Charles on the feet because Oliveira's become this striker at another level. Like, Oliveira is so good on his feet now that Makachev's course to victory or his path to victory would be to go and grapple with the dude who is the greatest submission artist in UFC history. That mm. just tells you how special Charles Oliveira is. It would be a great fight. It would be a fun fight. It would be one of those fights that draws people in. And for one more reason, because Ryan... When you lose a dominant champ like Habib Nurmagomedov, sure he didn't have all the title defenses, but when a guy leaves the weight and he leaves the belt behind and then a guy comes behind it like Charles Oliveira and he starts to win and dominate in the class like he has, you start to question, ah, man, it'll be nice to see him fight Habib, right? Yeah. Boy, it'll be nice. <laughs> yeah. Many people yeah. have said that. It'd be nice to know. It'd be nice to know. What better way to try to draw him back in than by having Oliveira beat his friend, training partner, and longtime, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it, uh, once again, I I'm a you. bit messy. You know what I'm saying? I but like, it, it's another way to try to draw him in because obviously the money, Dana's throwing so much money at Habib to try to get him back. That hasn't been enough. But what if defending his friend's honor is enough if Islam doesn't get the job done? So I just think there's a lot of reasons why you should make this fight. Yeah, you know what? And what's crazy? And speaking of, defending a friend's honor. Uh, you've had a little back and forth with, with Tony Ferguson that has made me feel a little way, DC. I was about hey, to quote tweet, and I was like, wait, then I might have to fight Tony. Like, Tony came <laughs> at you, man. He said what? He, he goes, you know, how not to make weight, ladies and gentlemen, should have been stripped like they did Charles. Shout out to all those doing it right and keeping their sport clean. Then I just said, Tony, stop. Go sit back for a little bit. Tuck your head in a hole somewhere. Regroup, my man. Recover and spend some time with your family. Stop. 
It's not a good look. You're starting to make me feel sad. Then he goes, DC, lay off the yay, buddy. It's not a good look. You make yourself look sad. I'm already back to work. I don't quit like you. Enjoy your retirement with fat head. Enjoy your retirement with fat head. So what he is talking about, RC, is enjoy my retirement with Habib. And that is one of the biggest issues that I have had with Tony Ferguson is literally my relationship with Habib. I did an interview with him for my YouTube channel the other day. And, bro, we're talking off air, and it was fine. We spoke about wrestling, our heroes, all these great things. The interview starts, and he immediately brings up Habib Nurmagomedov. So as we're going forward in the interview, I ask him a follow-up question on that. I go, Tony, do you think maybe you should live in the now? Not worry about Habib. That's a confrontation mm. that you never got to have. And he's threatened to walk off the interview, and, and now he comes at me. Bro, what are you worried about me for? Michael Chandler kicked you in the face, bro. There's three <laughs> names, DC, RC, and at times there's an MC. Worry about MC, not me. Right. I'm retired. I'm the heavyweight, but it's like, he has these issues with Habib, and it, it because of these issues with Habib, he continues to come at me, which I don't quite understand. When you lose in the way that he did, bro, you got to go away for a little bit, man. Like, take some time, like, recover, like, get your mind, get your mind back in a place where you can go and compete effectively instead of trying to fight with the guy that commentates the fight. He attacked me. He attacked Rogan. He attacked everybody, bro. But John Anik, which is very weird because one time we got on a, 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 a – fighter meeting and he wouldn't speak to John Anik. So the guy's just like all over the place, man. And it's kind of crazy. Dude needs to take a break and, and rest and recover because this dude's tripping. And, and then the accusations, right? When you start to accuse a guy of drug use, now you're starting to play a different game because obviously, you know, we're family men and we, we, we don't, I don't do stuff like that. And I've never yeah. done that. So it's like hard to, for someone to say something like that to me. Yeah. I think, I think what happens is too, is that, you guys still float around in the same arenas, right? The, the the same circles. And so when you start to get personal with someone it's that you actually shouldn't have an issue with, I think that's what I took offense to when I was reading Twitter. And those are situations if I'm able to sit in front of you, if I'm able to pick up a phone and have a phone call with you, I think that should be handled that way. Whether I'm saying the wrong things, the right things, uh, when it gets personal like that, if I have a line to you, that's how adult men handle things. And when I look at fighters and when I think of who you have to be as a man in order to step into that octagon or in boxing to step into that ring, I feel like you should understand those adult things. Um, but not even only, you know, Tony having an issue with you, Tony having an issue with Khabib. He's now been offered by Charles Oliveira to train with one another. And you would think when you see a dominant champ, someone you stepped into the octagon with that gives you that offer, that would be something you consider. How do you feel about Tony's reaction or his response to being invited by Charles Oliveira to be a training partner? Wait, he, re he responded? He said no? Yeah, he said he, he, he sees himself he sees himself competing against Charles Oliveira down the line oh. in the future. So really accepting or considering that is something that he has to think about. Uh, Ryan, I think it's just, this is Tony Ferguson today. And again, it's kind of sad. Like, I mean, you know, dudes lost a lot of fights in a row. And the reason Charles Oliveira extended that olive branch is because he doesn't see him as a threat anymore. 
right? He's like, he's like, listen, man, we're on completely different trajectories. I'm the champion of the world or former champion and number one contender. This guy has had some hard luck. Let me try to extend a way to try to help him. Because if you saw them fight and the way that they competed against each other, like Charles Oliveira training with Tony Ferguson is honestly um, helpful to Tony Ferguson. Because if you watch the fight, it was a dominant victory by dominant, Charles. Yes. So what is Charles really taking from the training sessions? He's doing that as a, hey, man, I'm trying to help you out to help you get back to who you were when mm -hmm. you were so good. I, I just think that, it, it, it again, it points to uh, where Tony Ferguson is today. And um, it's kind of crazy to, to watch a guy uh, really lose track of, of – uh, of where he is. And and I don't hate Tony Ferguson. That's the thing. Like I, I really do believe that Tony Ferguson went away from the cameras and when just talking within himself, he's a nice dude. And he talks uh the way that he's supposed to, but the moment people are paying attention to him, man, he turns into this this person that uh, doesn't really have impulse control. Yeah, I think you know what what happens is when you are winning, you actually don't have to be liked. Right. People yeah. will accept you as the villain. People will accept you as the contrarian because you have this exceptional talent that you put on display every time the lights are on. And so now that we've seen Tony lose four in a row, it's starting to feel like, OK, the, the, the villain and the heel role are a little bit too much. You have to show some humility when you get into these spots. And I think Tony was on that run for so long. He was able to be so good in the octagon and he was embraced as the boogeyman. Now it kind of feels like it's hard to, to get away from that for a guy who has lived that his entire you know UFC career. But let's think about another guy who's kind of been the villain and been the heel. Uh, whose name is in the news now, Kobe Covington and Dustin Poirier. These guys have been linked. Uh, Dustin has talked about getting an opportunity to fight. And he says, hey, Kobe Covington, July 30th, I accept. So that's what it is. What is it? You already know, man. You know what they say? Put it on Twitter and make it real. It's on Twitter now. He has told the world that he is ready to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kobe Covington. How do you feel about a Dustin Kobe match on July 30th. I, I love it. I never thought Dustin would take that fight because when you look at it on paper, it would seem to be a nightmare, right? Kobe's just going to try to wrestle him. And as we saw with Habib and uh, some other spots, Eddie Alvarez back in the day, uh, Dustin can struggle with the wrestling at times. He has improved tremendously since he became the world champion. But for him to say, hey, I'm down, it just tells me that a lot of the other matchups that Dustin wants are not coming to fruition, and the dude is an absolute fighter. And he's like, you know what, man, forget this. If nobody else wants to compete, I'll go fight this dude. Even if it doesn't seem like this is the best matchup for me, I'll go fight this dude. I'll go beat this dude that I have all this bad blood with. But at the end of the day, when you look within the matchups, you understand Kobe Covington has been the number two welterweight in the world for a really long time. So that is a very difficult assignment for Dustin Poirier going up a weight class again, fighting at that weight class for the first time against a guy that's fought for the belt twice and took the champion all the way to the limit in both of those times yeah. in two very different fights. The first fight, he went at Kamaru Usman, guns a-blazing. Figured I'd wear him out. I would just beat him with my will. 
couldn't get that done, got finished. Second fight, actually fought a much smarter fight. He was able to fight within himself more, not take the damage, and still fall just razor thin, lost by decision. So he has the ability to adjust, bro, and fight smart and still win. That means that he's even better than a lot of people give Colby Covington credit for in the first place. Yeah, Colby Covington is an absolute dog. Even no matter yeah. what you think about the persona he's created, when it comes to fight night, he's a guy who's focused and understands the way that he has to approach these fights to win. You know, when you think about his approach to a Kamaru Usman as compared to a Tyron Woodley, when we saw him finish Tyron with an injury, uh, TKO, uh, I think breaking a rib. And so I think yeah, that's a did. very tough assignment for a guy like Dustin Poirier to move up and already be at that elite level. But you got to think about this. For Dustin, if you can win that fight, it now puts yep. you in, you know, 170-pound championship contention. Should Dustin be looking for a permanent move to that weight class or should he f fluctuate between the two? Well, when you look at Dustin, he's huge, bro. Like, he's massive. He, it's amazing that he fought at 145 at one point. I cannot mm -hmm. believe when I look at his frame that he was able to get all the way down to featherweight. He looks like a welterweight now, even when he's in the octagon. Like, he looked bigger than Charles Oliveira. He looks bigger than anyone that he fights. So, if he does decide to stay up at welterweight, I think he would be very successful. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to make your introduction to a weight class and be a contender immediately, you go and beat a guy like Kobe Covington. Especially if you do it on July 30th, whenever we're hearing now that the champ Kamaru Usman will fight Leon Edwards at some point in August. August 20th mm -hmm. is the date that's floating around right now. I spoke to Usman this morning because we wanted him on the show. He goes, I'm training. Hey, dude tells me he's training, uh, knowing that he had the hand injury. Feels yeah. like to me... Dude's testing it out, seeing if he's going to be able to go and defend that championship in August. So that's exciting news within itself. But yes, Dustin Poirier gets it done. He can beat Colby Covington in his first fight at welterweight. He immediately becomes a challenger or a contender at 170 pounds because we've seen it before. We saw Gilbert Burns do it. We saw Gilbert Burns do it, but not do it against a number one contender in his first fight at welterweight. Yeah, I think it'll be crazy. And Dustin has built that type of following where people will want to see him. People will want to see him win. They're going to want to see him against Kobe Covington. The interesting thing for me will be if he does win that fight, what happens with all those other contenders in the welterweight division? And yeah. I think the first one that comes to mind is Hamzat Chemaev. And where do you put him as, as you know, opposed to Dustin Poirier? Well, you know what? With Hamzat, man, like after beating Gilbert Burns, he made a statement, RC. So does Dustin's statement outweigh the yeah. statement that Hamzat just made? That's the things that you're going to have to weigh against each other as you go into who fights Kamaru Usman after Leon Edwards, who for the... I mean, I'm so grateful that Edwards is finally getting his title fight, having to have to win so many fights in a row yeah. to get a chance to rematch Kamaru Usman. Now... Ryan, you know, with the UFC, everything's always moving, right? So you don't get to take a breath. You don't get to just stop. And this weekend, we go forward with Holly Holm facing Ketlin Vieira. Holly Holm, a former champion, has been around forever. At 40 years old, still says that the finish line 
is nowhere near sight for her. She wants to compete and ride this bus until the wheels fall off. And for the rest of us, the people that love the game, it is always exciting to watch Holly Holm fight a former boxing champion and a tremendous mm -hmm. fighter. But in Ketlin Vieira, she is going to fight a very young, talented fighter, a very hungry competitor that wants to put a former champion on her belt buckle, on her loop of accomplishments in her career. But when I look at the matchup, Ryan, with all the accomplishments that Holly has, if Ketlin beats her at this point isn't an upset, when you start thinking upsets, you start thinking about the greatest upsets in UFC history. Yeah. So we get back to the list. Let's get back to the list. Let's go to the biggest upsets in MMA history. And Ryan Clark, I will roll the red carpet out for you and allow you to go first. Your list, RC. Number one, well, number five, I'm sorry. Number five, I'm going Henry Cejudo, Demetrius Johnson. Now, the thing I remember about this was at this point, I thought Demetrius Johnson was the most dominant MMA fighter in the world. He was just tiny. But it always seemed he had an issue <laughs> with the UFC at Dana White. He'd also already beat Henry Cejudo and knocked him out. Yeah. So I was like, oh, we've seen this already. We know what this is. And to watch this fight go to distance and see Henry Cejudo's hand raised as the champion, to me, that one was a huge one. That one was a big shock. Now, number four, Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva. I remember going to the lead up of this fight, being pissed off the entire week because people kept saying, be careful about Chris Weidman. He's a guy that <laughs> could beat Anderson Silva. And up until this point, all I'd ever seen Anderson Silva do is fight people with his hand down and front kick them in the mouth. And so to see him lose this fight was heartbreaking for me. Number three, you mentioned Holly Holm already. Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey. Mm. This was at a point, man, where Ronda was bigger than life. She had put yes. women's mixed martial arts on the map in a way that it had never been. She had become a true star in the UFC. And we already knew if she got you to the ground, she got an arm, cancel Christmas. Holly Holm dominates the first round and then finishes the fight with a vicious head kick. That was one of, to me, one of the craziest moments we've had in UFC and one of the biggest upsets. Number two, everybody loves this one. Matt Sarah, George St. Pierre. I actually think I just saw it on UFC socials yesterday, and it probably was because Holly was fighting this week. I mean, for Matt Sarah to go from tough to be fighting a guy in George St. Pierre who still to this day may be the most complete mixed martial artist we've ever seen. He could beat you in any way and to dominate, then hit the quick backflip with the one hand was amazing. And that was going to be my number one until I thought about this. <laughs> Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunes. There are two reasons this is the biggest upset to me. One, Amanda Nunes, the GOAT. The most dominant mm -hmm. female mm -hmm. MMA fighter that has ever, won, ever, ever been. And she beat everybody along the way. And Juliana Pena beats her in two rounds. Here is why yep. it's the greatest upset, though. For six months, I had to listen to Daniel Cormier tell me <laughs> that Juliana Pena had a chance. I thought it was a Lloyd Christmas type chance. When she said it was one in a million, and he said, so you're this saying is crazy, a man. You're crazy, and man. And she won. 
That is why it is the biggest upset, not only in the UFC, but in DC and RC history. Ryan, I give you a clap. I, I mean, I got to. That was a good list. That was a good list. I'm going to repeat. I'm going to repeat some of these for you, but it's a little different for me. So at number five, I have Holly Holm head kicking Ronda Rousey. Ronda was an absolute global icon at that point. Still today, obviously. In the WWE, she's still as big as she was in the UFC. So it shows you what type of appeal that Ronda Rousey brings. What we didn't know, though, at the time was that she was so limited in her skill set. And Holly Holm really did uh, show that there were levels to mixed martial arts if she was able to defend the takedowns, defend the submissions. Hey, number four, Hinnan Baral against T.J. Dillashaw. Ooh. When T.J. Dillashaw beat Hinnan Baral at the time, so many thought that Hinnan Baral was the number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world. You got to think back to 2014. UFC 173, I believe. I was on the card. It was a, a Memorial Weekend card, and... Nobody thought T.J. Dillashaw had a chance. Not only did he win the fight, he dominated Hinnan Baral. And then he dominated him again to show that he was just a better fighter. At number three, I got Henry Cejudo and Demetrius Johnson. Because Henry Cejudo lasted a minute the first time. He came back and scored takedowns when he needed them. Fought a very smart, completely changed his style. He went mm -hmm. from trying to go forward against D.J. to fighting him almost in a karate stance. To win the fight, win behind leg kicks getting those Knights takedowns at the right time to win rounds against DJ. Number two, I got Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena mm. because I don't think there's ever been a bigger underdog in a title fight to win the fight. And just sitting there, right, the moment, like, oh, my God, I could not believe what I was watching. I was watching Juliana do exactly what she said she was going yeah. to do and then standing in the corner looking at me and going, she said, I told you. And I was like, boy, that is a bad <laughs> and you told me girl too, right DC. there. She said, I said, that's a bad, bad woman right there, that Juliana Pena. And she got it done. And that number one, bro, look, you said that you had it as your number one fight and you moved it. Matt Sarah beating George St. Pierre was, th th that fight was supposed to look like the second fight look, where GSP just molly whopped him. That yeah. was supposed to be what the first fight looked like. No, Matt Serra was not having it. Not only beat George St. Pierre, but many believe that George St. Pierre tapped the strikes. Now, in order to do this justice, though, I had to tie it, number one, because you have to understand, you have to understand how important and where these people are in their careers. And my tie at number one was Chris Weidman beating Anderson Silva, because at the time, remember, Anderson Silva was thought to be able to strike and beat Roy Jones Jr. I remember leaving Philadelphia and getting on the plane and saw Roy in the airport. I'm like, what is Roy Jones doing here? He wanted to box Anderson. That's how special Anderson was, and Chris Weidman knocked him out. I remember sitting in Las Vegas, Ryan, and the American fans booing Chris Weidman and cheering for Anderson Silva. That's who Anderson was at the time. He had defended the belt 10 times in a row. So to ask me to pick a one, as the greatest upset of all time, it's impossible. So the George St. Pierre loss to Matt Serra is on the same footing as the Chris Weidman win over Anderson Silva. DC. So that is my good. Hey, listen, Bro. and you got two guys from from Sarah Longo at the top of my list, Weidman and Sarah.
DC, you can't do that, bro. Like that has to be one and two, so you can have no. five. You DC, you can't do that. One of those it, have to be on the top, and then the fight you have at five can't be on there, bro. It's hard to choose, DC. But you gotta choose, <laughs> like DC. DC. It's like sometimes I try. It's like sometimes I try, and then at the very at the hey at the eleventh hour, it's like the, it's like the judge calling down and, and giving you a stay of execution. I cannot DC. take one off the list. I just no, can't. DC. Well, you know what? They should both be off the list. This should be like if you're out fishing and your wife falls in the water and your kid falls in the water. You got to pick one, DC. Oh, you no, it's one. not like that. You're you can't so let them crazy, both drown? man. Ryan, come on, man. Come on, RC. It's time, RC. Give it to Let me. Tap it Give me the logo man. after you just lost the list. It's time to tap, man. Corporate Jake, let's go. <laughs> Tap all the way in, dog. This is the biggest flex of all time, son. This has to be the greatest photo I have ever seen. Because not only is she beautiful, hey, you are glowing, champ. You yeah. look fabulous. Congratulations to you and your new husband. But to wear the belt and also, Ryan, be able to go to your wedding a week after your fight and have no bruising. It's Hey, maybe we were too harsh on Carla Sparza. Maybe Carlos Barza did exactly what she had to do to win the belt and be clean for her wedding. Massive flex. Great job, Carla. I'm going to go tap out on it being the biggest wedding flex. The biggest wedding flex was scheduling a fight the <laughs> week before the wedding. Oh, wait, wait. That's so, the biggest flex. <laughs> to say that, yeah. you know what? I know who yeah. Rose Namajunas is. I know Ooh. how dominant of a fighter she could be. But I'm so confident in me. I'm going to agree to this fight the week before my wedding because yeah. I believe in wow. me that much. That's wow. a way bigger flex than wearing the belt. Than wearing the belt. Oh, you're right. We know you're the you're champ right. now. Yeah, you're right, RC. That's, 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 pretty, that's pretty gutsy. That takes some gumption. Gumption. <laughs> <laughs> Carpenter J. J. Let's roll. <laughs> Listen, I tap in that he should continue to pursue a boxing career, but we're going to have to pick opponents like Jake Paul <laughs> pick opponents, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is the good guy yeah, to fight. Yeah, yeah. Let's fight this yeah, guy. Yeah. We saw him in there with Darren Williams and he fell into the crowd. So <laughs> let's be smart about the dudes we take. But this was the right fight. He should fight again because that was an impressive knockout. Yeah, it was a crazy knockout. But I mean, hey, dog, you ever seen them things that they have outside the car dealership where the arms kind of be doing like that? You know, the arms <laughs> kind of be doing like that. Frank, man, hey, Frank Gore, the dude. Somebody show the video, man. Show the video. Look at the dude Frank Gore's fighting, man. Is this dude one of those uh, 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 aluminum dudes? Look at his hands, man. Hey. I mean, what is he doing, dog? It's about picking the right opponent. uppercut from his hip. <laughs> DC, you know Yo. how to fight champions. You, you said it earlier. You have to beat oh. the person they put in there with you. That's the guy they picked. That's the guy mm -hmm. he put to sleep. I'm putting Frank Gore. I'm, I'm, I'll watch Frank Gore fight a dude like that all day. 
I mean, Frank Gore knocked this dude flat on his face. That's the, that's the beauty of fighting. When the dude falls flat on his face, you ain't even got to count. It is over. That's a wrap. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead, Frank Gore. Enjoy yourself, man. Go fight some dudes like that. Hey, Frank Gore got money, right? What is Frank Gore doing fighting? He's a competitor, D.C., He's a competitor. That's like that's like you when you go ice skating or, or yeah, when yeah, you yeah. jump on horses <laughs> or when you attempt yeah, yeah, to shoot yeah. basketballs or ride on skateboards. You're terrible at it all, but you're a competitor. Corporate Jake, okay. let's roll. Disrespectful. This is hard, you know. I gotta be honest with you, man. Like, look, the time, hey, the time, the sun sets on all of us, Ryan. The sun sets on all of us. And at the last season, Drew Brees completed 70% of his passes, but they were all seven yards down the field. Time's done, man. We gotta roll with Jameis Winston. I never thought there would be a day where I would say we gotta roll with Jabu instead of Drew Brees. But the reality <laughs> is, uh, you take a year off at 41 years old, man, and you decide you want to come back. Tom Brady never left, right? So Tom Brady's body is still used to living that life. You cannot take a year off at 40, come back at 42 years old, and think that you can compete at the highest level. Especially, dude, we lost to Ron Armstead, so we ain't even got anybody. Dude, how's he going to get away from people, right? We can have a rookie starting at left tackle. So I think Drew Brees need to go back to NBC, continue to do his broadcasting. And uh, improve there because he's going to get better. I mean, I know a lot of people give Drew a hard time like he's not that good at it yet. He'll get better. Dude's a winner. Yeah, I, I, I tap out on him coming back uh, for many of the reasons you said on the football field. I think more importantly, I felt like his decline as the seasons went on because they are taxing physically were the reasons or was the reason that the New Orleans Saints didn't win a championship late other than uh, – Official totally swallowing his whistle on and a cheating, passing the Outside of cheating, R.C. Like, R.C., you ain't a Saints guy, but they cheated the Saints, right? My brother, come on, bro. They cheated, man. They, that was not a good call or good non-call, D.C. We were I there, agree. R.C. My son, I agree. My son has learned what it is to be a sports fan, bro. Like, I was fighting in Boston when we did the Minnesota Miracle. I kicked the chair. My son started crying, <laughs> ran to his mom's room. And then the next year, we're in the Superdome when that happened. So it was like... Uh, to be a Saints fan, man, is it, it, bad. It's almost as bad as being a Steelers guy. Cor Corporate Jake. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, man, have you seen Ryan Clark's ass and legs? And hey, he can run all day. <laughs> I mean, with that big old bottom half. He can run all day. So if you got to run a lot, man, put my boy Ryan Clark in. Now, have you seen this boy's legs? <laughs> if it takes you running, man, put my boy Ryan Clark uh, in there. Hey, I'm tapping in, DC, man. Let's go, RC. I tap all the way out on this. Uh, Jordan was an excellent soccer player growing up. Jaden was the captain of her soccer team her senior year. Dad cannot play any soccer. I can look good in the uniform, but you do not want to put me in cleats and put me on the field. Hell no. Oh my God. I tap out on this 
even oh harder God. than I'm tapping out on Drew Brees coming back and playing for the Saints. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> this suit is out of his mind. RC, man, I'm going to tell you, man, every week, dog, the show gets better. It seems to go faster every single time because when you're having fun, it is uh, it is easy to do a show. But I got to be honest with you. I just got faith in you. I just believe that whatever you set your mind to, look, you're a kid from Marrero. You're a yeah, kid from Marrero, Louisiana, that has made a life for himself outside of football. I mean, what can you not do, DC, Ryan? Set your DC, mind to it. Get you some cleats and I go gave start speech, training soccer. I gave a speech this week at a camp, and I started mm -hmm. this speech like this. I said, you can do anything you put your mind to that is within your skill set. <laughs> See, I think people often miss that, right? They're often like, oh, you can do anything you put your mind to. Just work hard at it. That's a lie. So, we got to stop lying to people. So, so me I at, cannot so me go at, play no soccer. So, so me at ESPN saying that I can get off the line on you is no not crap. in my skill set. Not in your skill set. I mean, I felt it like I got been, past you easy. It may have been a young DC skill set to get off the line on old RC. DC 60 oh. pounds ago. <laughs> DC before all the wrestling. This wait, DC, wait. after the jambalaya and the red beans and yeah, the gumbo yeah. and the 20 million years of wrestling, hell hey. no. RC, I had a nice inside release on you. But I had a real nice inside release on you guys. As the show ends, please run the clip of me getting that DC. inside route and then show me going up and take. Give me the fade on RC, man. DC, you had a nice bring your tail inside <laughs> release on me. That was not a nice inside release. Hey, man, I am RC. That is Hall of Famer Daniel Cormier. Thanks for rocking with us. Can't wait to see y'all the next time. Be good.